vine and the branches, John 15, 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has, showed, has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. to share God's word with you this morning. We're looking at this very familiar passage from John 15, and my, it's my intention this morning to preach from the message, which is the words that were up on the screen were from the message, and I think Daniel was reading in the NIV, so you actually got both, and I hope you were able to hear a little bit of both, because the NIV is so familiar to many of us who grew up in the church. We've heard it, we can probably quote verses from it, and I want us to try and look a little more intentionally at the message version this morning because I think it will hit us in a fresh way. Um, I want us to get past those familiar phrases to the actual ideas and concepts that Jesus is talking about here. And it's going to express the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And as many of you know, February is our vision month here at White Rock Baptist Church. And we've been looking at these questions, what or why does White Rock Baptist Church exist, and what is my part in that? And we've got a purpose statement that as a congregation we have worked on over the last year. How many of you think you could say the purpose statement without seeing it? Oh, guys, how many weeks have we been preaching on this? This is the third one, right? So I encourage you, if you don't know our purpose statement, Learn it. Go to our website. Read it. It's on our calendars that are printed. It's on our um, AGM reports, annual reports. Learn our purpose statement. It is what we are all about. So here it is. 
White Rock Baptist Church seeks to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ, worshiping God and growing in faith to impact the world. And throughout the month of February, we've been picking this apart, looking at the values that are included in this statement. What is it that we are here to do and why are we doing it? And today we're on growing in faith. We're right in the middle of it there. And we want to talk about how do we do that? How do we grow in faith? We know why. The why is right there in the purpose statement. It's to impact the world. That is why we do everything that we do at White Rock Baptist. That is why we take action. That is why we love others. That is why we share our hope in Jesus. That is why we worship, as we talked about last week. And it is why we grow in faith, so that we can impact the world around us and make a difference. We know the why, but how? There's a big word that we often use in church to refer to growing in faith, and that word is discipleship. And this is not a word that our culture uses, is it? Nobody talks about discipleship anywhere except in the church. And so I think it needs a little bit of explaining. Um, We use this word because it takes us back into the biblical story of Jesus and how he chose 12 disciples or apostles, 12 particular men who would follow him and learn from him. And there were other, other followers as well who followed Jesus and were also called disciples. There were women who followed Jesus just as devotedly as the men, even though they didn't get that title disciples in that culture. But anyone who left their old life and committed to Jesus Christ and his teaching and followed him and listened to what he said and tried to do it, those were his disciples. And they called Jesus rabbi or teacher. And in their culture, it was very common for rabbis who had studied the scriptures to have a group of disciples who listened to what they taught, and some of them recorded it and taught it to others. So in Canada, in the 21st century, what does discipleship look like? It still exists, even outside of the church, but they don't call it that. It might look like someone like Kim Kardashian, who has over 100 million followers on Instagram. She's got some disciples. Celebrities like Oprah, politicians like Donald Trump, businessmen like Bill Gates, they have disciples. They have people who listen to them and put their ideas into practice and hang on their every word. We don't call them disciples, but in relation to Jesus, it makes sense to call them disciples. And I love the word discipleship better than student or follower or fan. The word discipleship is like the word relationship. It implies that something is ongoing and changing and growing. Either it's changing in a good way or changing in a bad way, but a relationship doesn't just stay the same. It moves. It's dynamic. And so in the church and in our message today, we're talking about discipleship, meaning a relationship that is growing with Jesus. It's not something that you do once, like getting citizenship. There's another ship word. But citizenship you do once. Discipleship is something that you have to nurture. You put effort into it. You grow in your faith to be a disciple and to be deliberately cultivating that relationship with Jesus. And so throughout the message, I'm going to use these terms, growing in faith and discipleship, interchangeably. So I've been looking at John 15 this week, and I have noticed that this passage really describes the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. 
In essence, it describes discipleship and what it looks like to be growing in faith. But before we get there, I want to point out just a few things discipleship is not. If you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard many sermons about discipleships. discipleship. There are study guides, and there are how-to videos, and there are books on discipleship. And you may have gotten some things associated with discipleship that are not really at the heart of what it means. So here is the list that I came up with. Discipleship is not church attendance. Church attendance is good. I am so glad all of you are here this morning. This is great. But that's not what discipleship is. Can you be a disciple if you never get to church on Sunday? Yeah. Actually, we have a lot of people in our congregation who can't get to church on Sunday. They're in a care home or they're sick and they are not lesser disciples because they aren't here. So church attendance is not a good criteria. Discipleship is also not your Bible knowledge. Can you call yourself a disciple of Jesus if you've never read the whole Bible? Yes, you can. Now hopefully you're going to want to read the whole Bible and you're, going, and you're working on it, but the knowledge of the Bible is not what makes you a disciple. Discipleship is not being a church member. Membership is wonderful. We are glad we have members that support our purpose and our mission. But just because your name is on our list in our office does not necessarily mean that you are a committed disciple of Jesus. Discipleship is not proper behavior or thoughts or feelings. This is one I struggle with because we all want to strive to be more like Jesus. We want to do things that please him, but none of us have arrived at that goal. Disciples mess up. Just read about the disciples in the Gospels. Read about Peter, especially, then you won't feel so bad. Disciples don't always do or say the right thing, and that is us. You do not have to be perfect to call yourself a disciple of Jesus. And finally, discipleship is not having a position of leadership in the church. You can be actively serving in a church ministry while your heart is far away from God. And we hope that's not the case, but it happens. And so we can't judge whether we're a good disciple by whether we have a position in the church. So none of these things, of course, are bad things. These are good things on this list. And I think the sincere disciples will probably be motivated to do many of these things. They'll want to gather for worship with other disciples of Jesus. They're going to want to understand and study and read the Bible. They're going to want to be a member and support our mission and our purpose as a church. They're going to want to change their behavior and become more like Christ. And they're going to want to serve using their gifts. And that might be leadership or it might be something else. But my point is, you could do all of these things and not actually be a true disciple of Jesus. Because discipleship is a relationship. And how do you measure whether a relationship is good or bad. Think of someone in your life that you have a relationship with. Is the relationship good just because you smile at each other and you're seen together, you behave politely to each other, maybe you do nice things for each other sometimes and you know a lot about each other? Is that what makes it a good relationship? Not necessarily, right? It's more than that. You could do all those things and still be really angry at that person or feel really far away from them. And so just a good relationship is about your heart as well as your actions. It's about connection and intimacy and love. 
And that's what Jesus is getting at in John 15. He says, if you want to know what it looks like to be my disciple, it looks like this. There's Jesus, that nice, strong, healthy vine, that thick branch that you can see towards the top of the photo. And there's all of us, all the little branches that are producing grapes because of his nourishment in our lives. Now, if you look at that, you don't see a bunch of different plants, do you? You see one plant. There's a connection there. Jesus wants to be connected with us, to be one with us in the same way that a vine and its branches are all one plant. And so he's teaching us through this metaphor of the vine and the branches that discipleship is connection with him. It's a relationship, and it's a particular kind of relationship. And as Jesus explains this image of the vine and the branches, he keeps coming back to a few key ideas, a few central concepts that come out of this that help us understand the essential components of discipleship. So the first one is that discipleship is fruitfulness. It's productive. It produces something. It's transformative. It changes us. And any good relationship is transformative. It changes us in some way. If you have a good marriage, that will change you as a person over time. If you have a good friendship or a good work partnership or a good um, caregiving relationship, that is going to change you. And so how much more when our relationship is with God? We're going to be changed by that. And we're going to produce fruit. We're going to be transformed into people who are marked by the fruit of the Spirit. And you know this list that I'm talking about in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. And I want to read for you the, about the fruit of the Spirit in the message because I love this. You'll hear it again afresh in the way that uh, Eugene Peterson wrote this. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. I love this. What a wonderful description of the kind of life that I want to live. And so this idea of fruitfulness, of transformation and change, this is so important for growing in faith. And in fact, in verse 8, this passage says, fruitfulness is the main way you can tell that we are disciples. It is the way that we show God to the world through us, and it's the way that he receives glory. Jesus says, this is how my Father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. So it's our maturity, it's the ripeness of our fruit that proves we're Jesus' disciples, the most important of which is love for others. And so it's, discipleship is cultivating this fruitful relationship with Jesus. It's not knowledge, it's not behavior, it's not roles or rules that we follow, it's fruitfulness. And how does this happen? Well, Jesus tells us it happens because, secondly, discipleship is pruning. It's allowing Jesus to cut off every branch in me that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. Whatever there is in my life that doesn't please God, 
that doesn't bear the kind of fruit that was just described, he's going to relentlessly chip away at. And in this way, he's kind of like Marie Kondo. Have you, some of you been watching Marie Kondo and her show, Tidying Up? I love it. Uh, I'm no good at it, but I love watching her tidy other people's things up. <laughs> and she says, if it doesn't spark joy, you have to let it go. Well, this is like God, right? If something in our life does not spark joy for him, it's got to go. He's going to help us get rid of it. He wants us to be the kind of people that he created us to be. And he's going to help us get rid of everything that doesn't serve that purpose. And pruning is painful. It is messy. It is hard work. It doesn't bring immediate results. When you prune something, it just looks kind of mangled for a while. But it is worth it, because in ancient Israel, they had a lot of vineyards. They knew about pruning. This message made sense to the people Jesus was talking to. The farmer had to prune away the fruitless branches so that the strength and the nourishment of the vine would go into the fruitful ones. And so vines especially need a lot of pruning because they tend to run wild all over the place, which makes them a good metaphor for people. And so what does pruning look like in your life? Is it quitting a certain habit or starting up a new one? It could be some of the resets that we talked about last summer. Can you think way back to our series last summer about reset? Resetting our heart and our mind, our priorities, our rhythms of work and rest, our finances, our relationships, all those areas of our life need pruning. And we can't address all of those things at once. Good grief. We do one thing at a time, right? And God is gentle with us. He points out one area, maybe two, that needs adjustment. And he works on us one thing at a time. And he allows circumstances in our life that might force us to change, that might require us to start new habits and to change in ways that we would never have changed otherwise. And so he can use the painful and the unpleasant things that happen as part of his process of pruning us. But he sticks with us. And that's the wonderful truth, is that we never do this on our own. We're never pruning ourselves. He's in charge. He's guiding us, and he's with us. And that is the next point that he makes. Living in him. Living in Jesus. This is what discipleship is about. He says, live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. And other translations might say, remain in me, or abide in me. And then he goes on to say, when you're joined with me, and I with you, the relation intimate and organic the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, then you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. So these are the metaphors that he used. Joined with Christ, living in Christ, at home with Christ. And to me, that sounds a lot like a marriage relationship, doesn't it? That's how close we are to be with Jesus. In a good marriage, you can talk about anything. You can say whatever's on your mind. You can ask for help, and you know the other person will want to help you because they love you. And Jesus promises that when we talk to him in prayer, he will listen and respond. Prayer is how we're going to build our intimacy with Jesus. We share with him what's on our heart. We thank him. We ask him for help. And in his word, he talks back to us. And we listen. 
And so this isn't something we do once a week here at church when we're together. This is something we live in all week long, where we're talking to Jesus throughout our day, throughout our week, wherever we go, whatever we're doing. We're sharing with him. We're asking him for guidance. We're asking him for direction. We're asking him for patience. Whatever it is that we need in that moment, whatever we want to thank him for, we're doing that constantly. And we read his word constantly because we want to hear from him. We want to hear what he has to say and what he has to teach us. There's a very famous quote that I love that says, don't say God is silent if your Bible is closed. And we might think, well, I I talk to God all the time. He never says anything back to me. Guys, (laughs) he's said a lot to us. It's right there in his word. And all of us have the freedom to pick up our Bible, probably one of multiple Bibles that we have lying around, and read it whenever we want to hear from God. So we abide in Jesus through this prayer, through Scripture, Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we want to know him better. We want to build that growing relationship. And we do it because we're in love with him. And that's the next concept. Discipleship is love. Jesus keeps talking about love over and over in this passage. He says he loves us the way the Father loves him. This just can blow your mind if you really meditate on this idea. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God joined together in a community of love. And he invites us into that. He wants us joined together with him. And that is an inconceivable mystery and privilege that he would want to be that close to us, that he would want us part of his own inner life, part of his heart. And when we get that and we realize how wonderful and healing it is, to be so intimately loved and accepted by God, then we're going to want to love others the same way. We want them to experience that. So Jesus says, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. Just like Jesus did for us. So Jesus' command, the most important command in scripture, is love. Love for God, love for others. And this then ties in very easily with the next idea of obedience. He talks about commands. This isn't a suggestion or a nice idea, or some good advice for living. This is a command. And we obey Jesus because we love him, and what he's asking us to do is good for us and for others. If we don't obey the command to love, then we aren't connected to Jesus, the vine, because he is love. Jesus said earlier, a couple chapters before this, in John 13, he said, In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples, when they see the love you have for each other. That's the first fruit that's mentioned, right? If we're going to be fruitful, we're going to have love in our lives for God, increasing love for God, and increasing love for other people. And so I want that to be true of us here at White Rock Baptist. I don't want people to know us because of our building, or because of our programs, or even because of our theology. I want us to be known for our love. And that's going to mean that we need to change and we need to be 
more deeply committed to our love relationship with Jesus because he's the only one that can give us the kind of love that will radiate out to our community and to everyone around us. Love is not just a feeling, right? You know this, it's hard work. And it can take everything we have to choose to do the loving thing for somebody. And we still fail, often. But that's why Jesus had to make it a command, so we would know it's not optional. We can't just love when we feel like it. We can't just love the people we're fond of. We're commanded to love everybody, with no exceptions. And so, it's a big job, and we need his love in us. We can't do this on our own. Now, we might start to think, well, what kind of good relationship with Jesus is this, if he's giving me commands? Do some of you rebel against other people telling you what to do? We might start to feel that we're just slaves and he's the boss. And so Jesus clarifies with this final idea that he comes back to is that discipleship is friendship. We're not slaves. We're given this incredible privilege of being friends with God. Think of a good friend that you have, that you can talk to and feel comfortable with and that you love and respect We can be friends with God. Jesus says, you're my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants, because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends, because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. So this sounds a lot like Jesus is then inviting us to be partners with him in his mission. He knows what the Father is planning. He's planning to offer salvation to the world. And we get... To be involved in that. He's told us that we are to go out and make disciples, to make more, to invite people in to know him. We are to impact the world and we get to do that with Jesus, guiding us and helping us. And so as our friendship with Jesus grows and gets deeper and we get to know him and his love for us and his love for others, then we're going to care about the things that he cares about. And we're going to work towards his mission. When you're good friends with someone, their concerns become your concerns. Many of you have probably experienced this in your life group. Someone else's burdens become your burdens because you care about them. Let me tell you a a personal story. I have a very dear friend in Alberta, and she recently lost a baby. She was 15 weeks along in her pregnancy and they discovered the baby had a genetic disorder, and he died. And when I heard that news, I was just so overcome with grief. And I was just gutted. I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't do any of my work that day. I just felt her loss so deeply. She's such a wonderful mother. And I was so sad that this little baby boy wasn't going to get to be part of her family here on Earth. She's my friend. And because of that, I felt just a little bit of what she must be feeling. And I'm telling you this because it illustrates the fact that if we are friends with God, if we're close friends with God, with Jesus, we're going to feel his losses. We're going to feel his burdens and his concerns. And he has lost children too. Countless millions of his precious children people that he created, and we can't even fathom the kind of loss that God has experienced because of our sin and rebellion. This is 
heartbreaking. He loves each person that he created so much, and so many of them are living their lives apart from him. They're wandering around in the darkness without him. And he's provided a way through Jesus Christ to save them. He's provided a way to free them from sin and bring hope and peace and joy into their lives and to transform them to be all that he created them to be. And they don't know it. They're lost. God has lost children that he is searching for. And he's asking us to help him, to help him bring them home to him. These are his prodigal sons and daughters. He wants them home with him. He wants them in his family. And he's asking us to help tell them in the most loving way that we can that Jesus has saved us and that he can save them. So this is where discipleship, you know, the rubber meets the road here. Because growing in our friendship with Jesus is not just about me and Jesus as buddies in my heart. It's caring about what he cares about and then going and doing something to make a difference. It's not just learning about the Bible. It's a heart issue. Do we love him? Do we love the people he loves? Is our growing in faith, is our personal discipleship actually making a difference to anybody else? Or are we just getting more knowledgeable? So this is why I want our life groups here at White Rock Baptist Church to be so much more than just Bible studies. You can see some wonderful pictures up here of our life groups. And I love how in each of these pictures, they're meeting in a different place. One's in the church, one's outside, one's in someone's home, one's out at a restaurant. Our life groups are out in our community. They're all over the place. And so when we think of growing in faith, thinking of discipleship, I want our life groups to be the place where that happens, where we can discuss our faith and our challenges together, and we can grow in our friendship with Jesus and our friendship with each other. And then that friendship with Jesus should be overflowing to new people. We should be so excited about what Jesus has done for us that we can't help but invite our family members and our friends who don't know him to come and meet him, to come and experience his presence with us. Our groups should be growing and changing. And someone who would never be interested in a church service like this might come if they were invited to a small group out at a restaurant or in someone's home. And they might be interested to hear what God is teaching you through his word, why you have a relationship with Jesus, what difference it makes in your life. They might like to just come and be prayed for. And so how can we make our groups more welcoming places for newcomers? How can we use our life group ministry to impact the world around us? And so I've, I've got some testimonies for you this morning. I'm going to invite Lisa and Marlene to come forward now. And they're going to share with you a little bit of what they've experienced in their life group. And this group of women meets every Tuesday at Lisa's home. And I have just been amazed at the depth of friendships that they have forged with each other and the openness they have to share about what's really going on in their life, what they're struggling with, and their willingness to invite friends, to invite new people. They're a truly open group in every sense of the word. Their hearts are open. The door is open. They're not afraid of change. This group is an example to me of what growing in faith to impact the world looks like. And so I want you to hear their testimony. 
It really is an exceptional group of women that come to my house every Tuesday because none of them are judgmental or condemning. Uh, it is a safe atmosphere where we can be real and we can share with each other the issues and the struggles that we're dealing with. And none of us pretend like we have it all together because the truth is in this life, no one does. So what happens at our life group stays at our life group. And nothing makes us happier than we, when we have a new friend come and join us. The ladies in my group invite friends and neighbors and co-workers, and absolutely everyone is welcome. What we want more than anything is to welcome ladies who don't know Jesus personally or maybe have just met him or are just discovering, out, or discovering about him. And we want to have the privilege to journey with them as they discover that Jesus is the only one who saves and that he loves us more than we can ever fully understand. So we praise and thank the Lord for all the ladies that he has brought to our group they add new life, and they teach us so much. And I just want to personally thank the group for being warm and welcoming and caring to the new people that come. And our newcomers always say, thank you, you made me feel welcome, and just instantly, and I think, why not? That's what the way it's supposed to be. Life here on Earth is hard, and I don't believe that we were made to walk this journey alone. The gift that God has given us in friendship is an incredible gift, and that's what life groups are all about. Loving, supporting, caring for, praying for, helping out, and doing life together. So as Jennifer said, that's why at White Rock Baptist we feel, and we, our heart's desire is that everyone would connect in a life group and be excited to welcome new people into their group. We, we meet every Tuesday, like I said, and if all of us came every single week, we wouldn't be able to fit into my family room. So I know that the time is coming that we're going to have to split into a couple of groups. Is this something that we want to do? No, absolutely not. Is it going to be hard? Yes, it's going to be very hard. But we have to do it in order so that more people can come. We don't want anybody missing out on discovering the hope that is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. We're going to figure out ways to stay connected, even when we have to split. But we want to look at the bigger picture and make sure that more and more ladies are being able to be reached for Jesus. And I just think the way, the way God works is so amazing because this morning before I came to church, I often just listened to a sermon because I don't get to listen to this one until after the fact once it's online. So I was just listening to Andy Stanley this morning, just picked a random one, but we know with God that nothing is random. And he was talking about the importance of being in a life group. And Andy Stanley often talks about the difference. I mean, he loves the church. He loves the church more than anything when we meet like this. But he talks about it that we meet in rows. And he says things that happen in rows, or things that can't happen in rows, happen in the circles, which are when you're in that small group and you're in a circle. And I just want to read from James, uh, verse, hang on one second here. Okay. 
James 5, verse 16. Uh, this is what we're supposed to do. The church is supposed to be the place where we can be real, and it's often the last place that we're real. We may be coming to church and you know, yelling at the kids in the car or fighting on the way here, and yet everybody gets out and we all pretend that we're all perfect, and none of us are. We are a mess, and um, that doesn't happen. You know, We need to confess and, and share with others the struggles that we have, but it can't happen in a setting like this. That is what happens when we meet in a life group. Because in James 5, verse 16, it says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. So that's what blesses me about our group, is that we come and we are real and everything is just hanging out and all our problems, you know, and there's no um, shame and it is a safe place. So our hope and desire is that each of you can find and discover a group like that. And so Marlene is one of our girlfriends and we're thrilled to have her and she's just going to share just a little bit about uh, what Life Group means to her. So um, I was a part of a life group for many years, years ago, and then I stopped going for a number of years. Just life got busy, and the kids had different programs, and, you know, and sometimes it was just hard to leave the house after you've commuted all day, and you just kind of want to stay home. But in September, I just kind of really prayed. I said to God that, you know, I asked him if this is something that I should consider again, going to a life group. And I really felt like I needed more connection with my church community than just small talk at coffee time. Not that that's not good, but um, I just wanted to have sort of a deeper relationship with the people in my church community. So I started going to Lisa's life group on Tuesdays, and I have the privilege of meeting with these women once a week, and they are amazing women, I'll tell you. I just really look forward to seeing them. And I love getting to Lisa's house. It's just like a spa for your soul. It's just this haven of peace and tranquility. And they have snacks. And, you know, and then we, we have this great study. And the study is great. You know, it's a time where you can, you know, listen to God's word and ask questions and hear answers. And it's, it's good. But what I love the most is these women and their stories and hearing what God is up to in their lives, because I just find that is so encouraging to me. And not just the good stuff, not just the answered prayer, but the struggles. And I'm just like, yeah, I've got that. I think that. And it's so nice to feel like, you know, I'm not alone in this. Like, I'm not alone in my walk or my doubts or my questions. And hearing answered prayer is such an encouragement to me, too, because it's just like, you know what? My prayer's not answered, but it could be coming. And so I feel very encouraged, you know, when, when people share and I get to hear their stories. And, and sometimes when I share, I, I know that maybe my story is encouraging them too. It's not always about, you know, what I get, but what I give. So, and just one story from that is um, one Tuesday we were meeting and I remember we were talking about listening to the promptings of God and listening to it in our everyday life and just kind of random things, just God prompting you to go and talk to somebody or God prompting you to go somewhere or do something. And, and um, Lisa had just kind of casually mentioned the whispers of God. And I just 
loved it. Something just kind of resonated with me, just that whole phrase, the whispers of God. And so just in conversation at work one day, I mentioned the whispers of God, and my, my friend said, oh my gosh, what did you just say? I said, the whispers of God, because that has been like a theme, um, you know, that has been kind of resonating in my life, this whole, you know, idea of listening to the whispers of God. And I just think it's interesting how what we're nourished with at Life Group extends beyond Life Group, and how, you know, how we get nourished and fed is, is not meant just for us. It's meant for, you know, our community at large. So I just am so blessed by it, and I just am so thankful that I'm a part of this group. And if you're thinking about it, I'd encourage you to check it out. So. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you for being brave and standing up here and sharing. Let's give them a hand. We all love to hear testimonies and stories of how God is at work, but that means if we love to hear them, we have to be willing to tell them as well. And so thank you, Marlene and Lisa, for telling us what's God, what God's doing in their group. And that is just one example for you of growing in faith that then goes out and impacts the world. And there's many other examples. But I want to end with this question for you. How will you grow in your faith this week? I can't tell you exactly what you need to do in response to this message. I can't tell you just to pray more and read your Bible more and join a life group and come to all our church events and then you'll be growing in faith. Because as we talked about, it's, it's a heart issue. It's a love relationship with Jesus that produces fruit in your life. And what do you need to do to get closer to Jesus, to build up that relationship? Jesus didn't give us a program of discipleship. He gave us this metaphor of the vine and the branches. And he gave us these ideas, these concepts of fruitfulness and pruning, of living in him, loving others, obedience to him, and friendship with him. And how are you going to build that? How are you going to apply that in your life? Listen to Jesus. Listen to those whispers of God in your heart for what you need to do next this week. And if it is joining a life group, awesome. Come to the info desk. We'll give you information about that. It might be something else that Jesus wants you to do, to grow in your faith and to become a more committed disciple. And I do pray that each one of you will commit yourselves to being a disciple of Christ. And he's already committed to you. He loves you as his dear son or daughter. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you spoke to us in pictures and images that stick in our minds. Thank you, Lord, that you want to nourish us and sustain us and help us to flourish and grow and produce fruit, just like a vine and its branches. Lord, we want to be fruitful branches. We want to be loving. We want to be obedient. We want to live in you constantly. And Lord, we want to be your friend. We want to care about what you care about. And our hearts are so far from you sometimes. Even while we do all the right things, even when we attend church and read our Bible and become a member and do all these other things that might look like discipleship, but sometimes our hearts are cold. So Lord, we ask for a renewed filling up of your spirit, that you would renew our love and our passion for you, that you would help us to experience that intimacy with you 
day by day, just as Marlene was describing, at work, being able to share about the whispers of God that she's hearing in her life. Lord, give us openness to speak of what you're doing in our hearts, to be honest and authentic and real with people who don't know you. Because, Lord, we know that our love for you and our love for them is what's going to draw them to you. We ask you to do the work, God. You are already at work in our community and all around us. You're searching for the lost children. And so, God, help us to be on mission with you, to make a difference, and to be a loving community of hope, Jesus Christ, worshiping God and growing in faith to impact the world. Amen.